Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. As we look back at Sunderland's fantastic, gritty, workmanlike 2-1 victory. Uh, to be fair, a pretty impressive looking Birmingham City at St Andrews. So to help me go through it all, I have two familiar faces. First of all, we have Phil West. Hello, Phil. Hi, evening, Chris. I'm all right. Are you just about recovered off that? Because um, I am. The heart rate's getting back to normal and uh, the sweat's <laughs> starting to disappear from the brow. So um, I'm starting to calm down a little bit now. Well, that's it. I'll spoil some of the magic, but we are recording pretty much straight straight after the, the final whistle. So the heart's still pumping. Um, and to, to help us alongside myself and Phil, we uh, have someone who got up at a stupid hour on the other side of the world to watch the lads. It's Martin Wanless. Hello, Martin. Hello, Chris. Fortunately, this morning it wasn't it wasn't as stupid as other stupid kickoff times. I think it was, I think I got up at about five o'clock this morning to it was it was fairly civilized compared to some kickoffs I I get myself up for. But no, it's always worth it when we win. No, well, five o'clock sounds pretty stupid to me, uh, if, if you ask me. To be honest, <laughs> it's all relative, mate. It's all relative. You know, before we started recording. Phil just turned around and said, you look as tired as he feels, which uh, <laughs> kind of shows how early in the morning it is there. But but let, look, let, let's crack on because we've got a lot to get through. We'll touch on some other stuff, but let's start with the game. Tony Mowbray made four changes from uh, Saturday's defeat at home to Cardiff. Luke O'Neill was out through suspension. Dennis Serkin had a calf injury, according to some of the reports, which I, I didn't know about before the team was announced. Patrick Robertson and Barr dropped to the bench. Uh, so, Trey Hume, Corey Evans, Alex Pritchard and Niall Huggins came into the side. And it was Niall Huggins. He, he was playing his first game for the first team since September 2021, uh, which is pretty incredible. He's had a bit of a hard time for it, so it was good to see him back. And we'll go in into the details of the game we'll go we'll go through it all but just overall martin traveling to a tough place against the side i think they were unbeaten six or seven at home it was their best run at home for four or five years something like that we haven't won there in the league since 1997 so a great three points overall excellent three points and i think you know the there was all of the talk before the game wasn't about an injury crisis and who who on earth was going to be Playing who was injured, who who we wouldn't have to to choose from. There was pictures pre match of um, three under eighteens players shirts who'd been named in the squad. And you know when when the team was announced, I was I was thinking, well, what the hell was all that about? Sirkin was obviously the one who, who was injured, but there must have been some some of those players who started today had a few question marks about them. But look, I think overall it was a cracking result. As you say, Birmingham have had a good season, and I think you know. When you looked at the table um, last year, last season, 
Birmingham had a bit of a bad spell. I think pre-season, the talk of, of them was that they would struggle. They've obviously got ongoing issues with St. Andrews and the, the club as a, as a whole, but they're, they're a good side. They've got some really good players. They've built a good group of players. The manager's got them playing really well. And for us to go there, and you know, it wasn't the, the most free-flowing performance. I think it was a very smart performance, a very clever, astute performance. But the thing that stood out for me was the character of the side. And I think that's been the thing that I've been not necessarily worried about, but I've just been like looking at at how we over the the last few weeks, how we actually stand up to to this. Because you know, going into that huge spell of games without any strikers, it's you know, it's a challenge, it's a mental challenge for the players as well as anything else. So for us to turn in that type of display, showing that character that we showed, I thought that was the, the most impressive thing. Um, probably aside from Ahmad's goal, which obviously we'll. We'll talk about a little bit later. Well, de- we'll definitely come on to that. And, and, and like I said, Phil, um, we'll get onto the details of the game in a minute. But just as Martin touched on there, I mean, yeah, yes, yeah, kind of a fantastic win. But that mental side to come back and bounce back after that weekend because we we needed that. Absolutely. I think if we cast our minds back to last Sunday, we're coming off the back of that dismal display and even worse result against Cardiff. And I think there was a lot of question marks around the players. Mowbray was getting quite a bit of criticism as well. And we really needed to see a response tonight. And just to touch on Martin's point there, I didn't think the performance was particularly dazzling. I thought we were functional. We played some good football at times. But, yeah, I think the overriding um, thing, Chris, was was the resilience we showed, the ability to soak up the criticism that's come their way, the players, over the past week since the Cardiff game, and really channel that into turning, uh, turning in a very, very efficient performance and I was impressed I thought again I don't think that the effort of the players really can be questioned on many many occasions this season I don't think our problems have come from a lack of effort I think this is a wholehearted team they play with full commitment and they're they're proud to play for the football club but there have been times when our game management has let us down when we've we've lost our composure our heads have gone a little bit Um, for instance against Burnley and I think certainly against Cardiff last weekend and what I saw tonight was a team that, in effect, had gone back to basics a little bit. I think Tony Mowbray kind of probably said to them before the game, let's do what we do well, lads. Keep the ball, you know, be patient, work openings, you know, keep them moving around, etc., etc. And it worked. So, yeah, we can play better than that. We have played better than that. But it was all about the result tonight, Chris, without a doubt. It was a massive three points for us. Yeah, let's get into the details of the game because, like you said, it was it was a bit of an enthralling game. It wasn't dazzling and you know and all that sort of stuff, but it, it was it was a kind of an enthralling game to watch. First five ten minutes, uh, you know, both sides just came out the blocks, and I, and I thought, go, oh, we've got a game in our hands here because it was like it was a bit like basketball in the, in the first five ten minutes. Both sides were just going at it. Three minutes in, we had the first big chance, and I want to kind of talk about this one because I think it, you know this is an example of the type of football I think I think we can play and, and that we seem to just show in these sudden flashes where it suddenly goes from nothing to something and we suddenly produce something brilliant. Because, uh, you know, Jack Clark and Pritchard play 1-2 and then get Dan Neal uh, in down the left. Um, and it was just like he did at Redden, but, but on the other side. And this time with his left foot, plays an unbelievable ball into the path of Ahmad. I mean, at one point I thought it was just going to roll to the keeper and, and Ahmad saw his shot saved. But, I mean, Martin, you know, I thought that was just out of nothing, cracking football. And, well, we could maybe argue that maybe Ahmad should have done better. It's it's one of those spells of football that we're capable of producing, isn't it? And we don't necessarily do it often enough. And, like, that ball that um, Dan Neal played across, that's Dan Neal 
at his best. And like Dan Neal completely infuriates me as a player. I can't I can't make my mind up fully about him. I don't think he can make his mind up about things a lot of the time either, because he he'll do something like that and put that ball across. And then in, you know, in the second half, there was a really easy ball out to Patrick Roberts where we could have relieved some pressure after we'd been under a, a you know a whole whole host of pressure from them. And he passes it bloody out of play. And he's so inconsistent in his decision making and his passing, where he goes, what he does. But it's almost like when he does things instinctively, like that pass, he's he's classing. He's got so much potential. I, I guess that's the thing with any young player, isn't it? It's kind of developing, going through that that spell and getting that consistency and you know improving that consistency level every every week and every every month. But that was a great ball across. And I, I actually don't think Ahmad did much wrong. I think he anticipated. I think he got there. I thought Ruddy did really, really well to come out and, and smother it. I think he came out. He was really decisive, forceful, came out and you know made, made the save. But that was that could have been another another goal of the season contender, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But but I mean just just quickly before we leave that point though, Martin, I mean the thing is I don't think on the subject of Dan Neil, his talent isn't up for debate. It, it's clear I mean some of the things he does, it's clear he's talented. Oh, he just needs to kind of iron out those kinks he's got. It's it's game it's game management, it's game intelligence if if you like. He's a exceptionally talented football player and he's got all of the attributes to be a, a Premier League midfield player. He can pass, he can tackle, he can shoot, he gets around the pitch, he can break into the, the box, he can defend. But he's so inconsistent within games. And look, he's he's a young lad, he's in his what, second full season of football, third full season of football. And he, he is he's improving. He's playing a, a level that's higher than he ever has done previously. But I think, you know, we saw it last week against Cardiff where him and Barr were together. And, you know, in, in that partnership, Dan Neal's the experienced one. And he, I thought he was a headless chicken last week. Like he, he just didn't give Barr any support whatsoever. So I think he kind of needs, you know, it's no surprise that Dan Neal plays his best when he's alongside Corey Evans. One, Evans will sit there and two, he'll talk him through the, the game. Very end of the game, wasn't it? There was that incident where Dan Neal grabbed the, lad, the lad's arm. And that is a penalty seven times out of ten. And it was stupid. Ab, it was needless. It was absolutely stupid. And you're just going, what the hell are you thinking about? So it's that thing where you know he's, you know, I'm not getting on his back um, at all, and I, I do rate him as a player highly, and I think he'll come, he'll come good. But he's just, he gets my heart in my mouth sometimes, and that he gets me punching <laughs> the bloody side of the sofa, he gets me up and down swearing at the bloody TV because he, I just find him so infuriating because he's got so much potential. Yeah, he, he, like I said, there's no, there's no doubt he, he's he's talented. But um, and like I said, like with that kind of early period of the game, backwards and forwards, I think it was only a few minutes after that we had a let off when, uh, Troy Deeney hit the bar uh, with a header. I think it was only about kind of six, ten yards out, something like that. He probably should have scored with that. And then there was a bit of a period where the game calmed down again. I think Bailey Wright's blow to the head kind of slowed the game down a little bit. And then uh, on around 24 minutes, we took the lead through Alice Sims. Uh, Ahmad did his thing where he shielded the ball from four Birmingham players while he was on his knees, uh, which is I'm not sure it's something I've, I've ever seen before on a football pitch. And then he slid the ball into Sims, who, who did his thing. I mean, there's two things for me here, Phil, about this goal. First one was the just sheer ridiculous skill 
of Ahmad to kind of keep hold of the ball while he was completely surrounded by, by players. I'm sure there's a there's a photograph somewhere of Ahmad with a ball at his knees, which is similar to that, that one, you know, that famous picture of Maradona with all the, the players who were just <laughs> surrounding them trying to get the ball. But then the other thing is just having a striker being in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. The goal was huge for Sims. Um, and I think that'll do his confidence the world of good because he's been the subject of some harsh, if sometimes ridiculous criticism, in my opinion, Chris. And I've been quite open about this in articles and on podcasts about the fact that I think Ellis Sims is a very, very talented striker who is just lacking a little bit of confidence at times. So the goal for him was big. And I thought the way he finished it as well, conviction in the shot, really got a little bit of a hand to it, I think, but the power just beat him and it was a really well-taken strike. Ahmad's role in the build-up to the goal was absolutely class. I thought he was brilliant all night, if I'm being honest, and I'm sure we'll come on to his goal uh, later on, but just he's a real live wire. I think if someone said to me, how would you describe Ahmad in a single word, I would say a live wire because he's unpredictable, he's got a good change of pace, he's got really good ball control. He can be a bit frustrating at times as well. You know, there are times when he can run down blind alleys and he'll lose the ball cheaply and you'll be left thinking a little bit of could have been better there. But I thought that tonight he was really, really good. He was, he was, he showed exactly why uh, Man United paid all that money for him and why he was so highly rated by them. But yeah, that just, just the way that the skill he showed in that. And I always love to see footballers who, in a very confined space, can keep the ball under the control, but can also work a space to pass a ball out to a teammate, which is what he did. And yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a really well worked goal. Great for Sims, but Ahmad's role in it was was top class as well. Yeah, and, and I can guarantee I'm not going to miss out talking about uh, Ahmad's goal. We'll, we'll get on to that soon. But I mean, just Martin, I mean, you on the goal, I mean, I assume, you know, of course you enjoyed that one, but but it's good to have a striker back, isn't it, who who gets into those positions when if people have got the ball on the edge of the box, there's someone waiting on the shoulder because you saw him just anticipating it. He, was, he didn't want to go offside. He held his run and then he just got slid in. But that's a position strikers take up, isn't it? And it's it's a huge difference since what we've been missing over the past few weeks, isn't it? I think um, we spoke in a podcast a, a few weeks ago about you know the, the importance of a, a striker, and you know the, we've had this spell in in football generally, haven't I? I think it's obviously been led by Man City over the the couple of seasons prior to this one, where they've played hand without a, a striker and try to walk the ball into the net. And if you if you've got players like they have, you can kind of get away with it. But for everybody else, you you need. A striker who's you know not only the focal point at the side, but plays on that last line of defence, makes a smart run, can anticipate the run to hold the offside and beat the offside trap, and can finish. And you know the the ability to finish in tight situations where you've got one chance and a couple of seconds to think about it, like that that's it's a difficult skill. And as we've seen over the past couple of months, not everybody can do it. It's it's a very very specialised skill. So you've got not only the all round play of a striker, which we've missed, the ability to hold the ball up stretch the game and all that sort of stuff. But you've got that, that finishing ability and Ross Stewart has it and Ella Sims has it. You know, the thing I like about Sims, which we, we saw very early on in Sunderland Korea, and we, have, we haven't seen that much since because we haven't seen that much of him since, but he takes shots early. You know, as soon as he sees the, the goal, he takes shots early. And again, we haven't got many players that, that do it. Like Ross Stewart doesn't necessarily do that um, unless he's sort of six to 12 yards out. So to have him back, and like as Phil says, he, he's got a bit of criticism, which is crazy. You know, you got a lad here who's just come to the club, gets injured, has been out for two months. He was, you know, put back into the team on on Saturday when he wasn't, you know, clearly wasn't fit enough to to start. But we were kind of going, you know, needs must it would be really beneficial to get three points here, and it didn't go the the way that we planned. 
I thought he was really good tonight. He won the ball in the air. He held play up. He backed onto that last defender. Gave us an outlet ball. Because we played a lot longer than we have done in previous weeks on occasion. And it was because we had Sims up there to give us the option of doing so. Because if you're whacking the ball up to Jack Clark or Alex Pritchard or Embleton or whoever else has filled in up there, it's going to come straight back. So it was nice to have that outlet. It was just a great finish. He really got a little touch to it, didn't he? But he couldn't couldn't keep it out of the net. And it was just, you know, um, instinct the striker has, hard, low, across the keeper, you're going to cause him a problem because if the keeper, if he does get a hand to it, it's going to pop back out and somebody normally follows in. So nice goal. And it was, again, just showed what we've been missing over the past couple of months. I think just to pick up on the point you made there, Mark, about the criticism, I think a lot of the criticism that you see directed at Sims is based on his body language because he's got this kind of languid sort of laid back approach on the pitch. Whenever you watch him on the pitch, he doesn't look, whereas Ross Stewart is kind of like always, you know, like he looks taut, he looks tense, he looks ready to explode at any given moment. Sims is a bit more laid back and he's not, he, he doesn't He doesn't quite bust a gut as much as Ross Stewart does. And that's not a criticism, that's just obviously the way he plays. So I think that that is part of why people see him as maybe being not the hardest worker in the team. But at the end of the day, a striker's currency is measured in goals, isn't it? You know, and, and that was his, I think that was his fourth goal for us um, since he's joined the club. The first one for quite a while. It'll do his confidence the world of good. So I thought it was great to see him back on the score sheet. Really, really was. You know what it is? So like I used to play up front, right? And my, my coach used to always say to me, just t- switch off because the defenders will think you've switched off. So you don't yeah. go hairing all over the place because somebody will be on you because they've got to keep on you. Just wander around. And then explode. And like, I, I kind of thought that's what Sims did tonight. I think, you know, there's, there's, there's potentially part of that way he's, you know, that language style. It's not him being lazy. It's waiting for the, the chance to actually do something meaningful. And, yeah. it, you know, the defenders yeah. can just switch off momentarily. You don't need to switch off for very long to give a strike a half a yard to score. So, you know, there's potentially that aspect too as well. You don't have to go like all bloody guns blazing, arson all, all, all over the pitch to be putting effort in because you know there's some smarter play to be had and I think Sims is is potentially kind of doing that sort of thing as well, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, I was going to say exactly the same thing, Martin, because, uh, well, a good few weeks back, it, there was an England under-21 game at Bramall Lane and I took the, the Ben along to watch them and we were watching the striker and I think that, like you said, I think they're coached now to do that where it's, you know, don't go chasing down a defender who's got the ball who's 15, 20 yards away and he's just going to clear it anyway. I mean, save your energy. And then when the ball's yeah. within 10 yards of you, you kind of come alive, burst into life. And and I think, as you, as you described, I think that's how Ella Sims plays. He doesn't bother, you know, sprinting 20 yards if he doesn't have to. But when the ball's near him... And the thing as well, Chris, just on just a final point on that, like, Sims has just come back from injury. Yeah. And for him to play 90 yeah. minutes, he's got to manage his energy. He's got to manage his fitness because he, he hasn't, he's not going to be 100% match fit. So he's got to manage himself through these games. And you know, you know, some nice warm weather training in Dubai, a game against Millwall. We should be sort of seeing him firing all cylinders when the action really sort of returns to a full fixture list in December. Well, that's it. I think even I might get back to full fitness if I had a couple of weeks in Dubai. And... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the rest of that first half was was kind of a bit a bit scrappy. It went a bit scrappy uh, after that. And uh, but the thing I wanted to mention that not Phil the rest of that first half is that from from my point of view, we we didn't really handle Troy Deeney in the way that he kind of dropped off and he he kind of picked the ball up between our defence and midfield, and it looked like. Danny Bart didn't know whether to go with him. It looked like Corey Evans didn't want to drop in and, and mark him. And we, we didn't handle that at all. And we maybe got away with one when I think um, 
Troy Deeney dropped off, got the ball turned, and then played in Scott Hogan, and, and it ended up Patterson made a made a decent save. But I think we were caught napping, and, and actually we'll probably come on to Bailey Wright further on, but I think Bailey Wright was caught on his heels, but uh, I think we got away with one there. Yeah, I think we did. I mean, Deeney impressed me all night, to be honest with you, Chris. Before the game, I had a bit of a... I'll, I'll be honest, I actually had a bit of a bad feeling about this game. I just felt that we were coming off of the Cardiff game. Confidence was a bit low. Obviously, injuries were biting again. And when you looked at Birmingham's team and you look at the way the old Foxes they were able to put up front there in Deeney and in Scott Hogan, I'm thinking to myself, mm, we could be in for a bit of a, a rough one here. And I think Deeney was very, very impressive. It was good old-fashioned, no-nonsense centre-forward play. I mean, if we'd had, if, if you know, if we had a striker like Deeney, he'd have been a fan favourite within a couple of games at Sunderland because it was really, really take-no-prisoner stuff. But it was intelligent as well, Chris. As, as you said, he, he was moving around very, very smartly. He knew how to pull our defenders around how to keep them guessing, how to bring others into play as well. And yeah, the, the chance that um, Hogan had when, when he was cleaned through, I thought Patterson did really, really well there to, to kind of come out. And I think that's what we need to see more of from Patterson. I think we said on the on the Burnley podcast after that game, when he was caught kind of in no man's land for, for uh, one of the Burnley goals, I said he needed to be a bit braver and a bit more commanding. And I think he was for, that, for the Scott Hogan chance. So it was good goalkeeping. Defensively, I thought we were a little bit ropey all night. It wasn't calamitous stuff. But, I mean, obviously, Bailey Wright was had an off night without a doubt. But I thought we were a little bit more organised. But yeah, Deeney was he was impressive. And we all know what Deeney's like. He's a he's a physical striker. He relishes the confrontation. And I think he'd have been licking his lips at the prospect of getting into our backline. So yeah, I, I thought it was it was a good battle really between Deeney and our defence all night. Yeah, yeah. So we we went in a goal up at half time, and then we came back out, and then three minutes into the second half. Uh, we go two up. Dan Neil picked the ball up after kind of we half clear from a Birmingham attack, but Dan Neil does fantastic. Um, you know, I think he beat his man with a little touch, and then he played a fantastic ball into Ahmad on on the right hand side. And then from here, it was all about you know we, we touched on Ahmad earlier on for the first goal, and it was all about Ahmad again for for the second goal. Martin, as soon as he got the ball, just he just looked forward, didn't he? He was just positive, went straight at his man. And then once he got in the box, he took that little touch just to get half a yard. And then just, I mean, that, that finish, I mean, it was just a great goal all round, Martin. World-class finish. Absolutely world-class. Like, there was no keeper in the world going to save that. He, he was just bent right into the corner and Rudy didn't have a chance. And, you know, for all I criticised Dan Neal earlier, that bit of play there was Dan Neal at his best. Picked the ball up, energy drive, went past somebody, picked a beautiful pass out and set the whole thing going. And it was a really lovely team goal on the counter-attack. And it was so very important because, you know, the, the stats were coming up, weren't they? That Birmingham had scored, what, the, they scored the majority of the goals in the first 15 minutes of each half. So you can go and start halves really strongly. We saw last week when we came out against Cardiff and they got a goal early on in the second half. So it was, it was really important that we came out and, you know, it was not conceded. And we, not only didn't we concede, we managed to get that goal. And that, that changed the complexion of the game completely because, you know, from Birmingham's point of view after that, if they leave any space and we get a third, it's completely game over. So, you know, a 1-0 they can afford to, to take a risk. A 2-0, they've got to be a little bit more pragmatic and try to play the way back into the game. And I think that um, that was a great goal for us in terms of the timing and the quality, which was, was just stunning. Like, Ahmad's... He's a funny player, isn't he? Like he's got so much ability, and then yeah. sometimes you kind of wonder, like, what what's his best position? I think you know, over the past few weeks we've kind of seen clearly his best position is coming out onto the right hand side and playing off off the wing, 
you know, when when we we might later on in in the pod, we might kind of move on to sort of reflecting over the the season as a whole so far and kind of what it means going forward and looking forward to the second half of the season. But I think you know when when we've seen Ahmad at his best, he's been out on that right hand side, and Patrick Roberts hasn't been in the team. And I think that's going to cause a real dilemma for for Mowbray in the second half of the season because Ahmad's got such quality. But I think he can, you know, we can really get the best out of him if he's on the right hand side. And like that goal again, beautiful finish. Yeah, I mean, well, it just was. It was a fantastic goal. And on the subject of Ahmad, I mean, <laughs> another thing that I'm not quite used to because it feels like a long time since we've had a very quick player. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a player with pace, um, and it just sounds odd because I. Thinking back, you know, I can't really remember the many players over the last kind of five, ten years really have just had lightning pace. But whenever he gets up, even when he's chasing people down, he looks like he's doing it quicker than anyone else when he's got the ball. Looks like he's doing it quicker than anyone else. But um, but I mean, on this occasion, you know, getting the ball out wide, he, he you could tell when he had the ball, he, he slowed it up a little bit. He had a look around, and then he knew exactly what he was going to do. And uh, you know, fantastic finish. What I love in that situation is the speed of thought that he demonstrated. I've always I, my my thing for great football players is the players who can calculate what they're going to do in an instant and then they can execute it in the very next second. And that's exactly what he did. What I loved is that there was a little moment just as he just as he entered the penalty area, he just shifted the ball from right to left foot and then bang, he didn't miss a beat. He, he just knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew where he was aiming. He knew exactly where that ball was going to go if he caught it sweetly. And it was just, I mean, I actually thought it was going wide at first. I thought he's just maybe overhit that a little bit. And then I, I love goals that just kind of cannon off the inside of the post and nestle in the back of the net as that one did. But and actually, funnily enough, I don't know whether you lads noticed this on the on the uh, replay. When he wheeled away in celebration, Jack Clark was just stood there looking at him with an expression on his face as if to say, how the hell have you just done that? You know, so I just thought that the goal itself, the, the, the moment to, to have it in front of the travelling fans, the moment in the game when the goal came, as Martin said there, you know, it was t- to come out in the second half and get that goal early, just give us a real boost. And um, hopefully he can use that as a real spur now to make an impact at, at Sunderland because he's shown flashes of it. Again, like so many of our players have, they've shown what they can do in terms of attack and play. But we just lack that bit of consistency that, that sets the great players apart from the good players. Ahmed could be a great player for us without a doubt, Chris. He's got everything you need. But I think under Mowbray, I think Mowbray will be really stressing to him. Look, we need you to be consistent. It's not going to go for you all the time, but you know, give us something every week. Try and be consistent. Try and iron out those flaws in your game that you've got where you can maybe, like I said earlier, run down blind alleys every now and then, and you can really become a great player for us. So we have scored this season, Chris, some fantastic goals. It's been a long time since I've seen Sunderland score goals of such quality as, as the kind that we've seen this season, you know. And that's testament to the attacking lineup that we can field when everybody's fully fit. So, yeah, it was a wonderful goal. It really, really was. I mean, you know, we, we've been talking about goal of the season for quite a while now. And we've we've got quite a few candidates. So whoever's putting that together at the end of the season, good luck. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. I think he's I think Ahmad's getting getting better and better. And he uh he got a poke in the eye for his for his troubles. So <laughs> he did. But I mean, after we went 2-0 up, uh, Martin, I mean, to be fair to Birmingham. I mean, and again, I mean, we touched on it at the beginning, but I thought I thought Birmingham looked impressive. They looked strong. They looked quick. They've got some. They've got some good players in there, and they stepped it up after that goal, and they really kind of put us on the back foot, and they kind of pinned us in um, for periods after that, and then they pulled the goal back on around seventy-seven minutes when a bit of a nothing ball 
from the left-hand side just wasn't dealt with by, by Bailey Wright. He just completely lost concentration. Jukovic uh, passed the ball into the net. It was actually, you know, it was a good finish. But, I mean, from our point of view, Martin, a bit of a crap goal to concede, really, because it, it should have been dealt with easily. And and when the ball came in, it didn't really look like there was all that much danger, to be honest. It was a poor goal, and I think it was disappointing, wasn't it? Because we'd, we defended manfully um, up until that point. We put bodies on the line, throwing ourselves in front of things. And then to give away such a soft goal, you kind of wonder what impact that has on the, on the rest of the team as well. It, it shifts the dynamic of the game completely, but it's, it's kind of it's a bit demoralising for, for the team, isn't it? And Bailey Wright just bloody swung a, a leg out. It didn't get anywhere near it. I thought it, the shot took Patterson by surprise, I think, didn't he? I think if, if Patterson had been expecting the shot, he probably saves that and probably gets across and gets down quicker. But he wasn't expecting that shot to come in. I think it was, it was actually a good a good goal, snapshot. It was, you know, get a sight of the goal and, and take a take a punt and he got it in. But it's um you know it's the second time in, in a week that Bailey Wright cost us well um, he almost cost us last week against Cardiff, didn't he? he passed um passed the ball across and Patterson got him out of trouble on, on that occasion. But I think, you know, in, in reality, Bailey Wright's our fifth choice centre half, isn't he? You know, Ballard's out, Elise's out, O nine probably would have played there, could have played there. So, you know, he's 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 not our first choice. He's a good person to have around the club. He's an experienced player. But, um, you know, hopefully, I mean this with the greatest respect to Bailey right in the world, hopefully we don't see him that much in the second half of the season because if we don't, that means Ballard, Danny Bart and Elise have all sort of navigated the second half of the season injury-free because I think if those th- three are fit and, you know, you chuck 0-9 in there as well, I think that's a good mix of centre-halves for, for the championship and... It's just it was a shame, wasn't it? And I'm just glad it kind of didn't snowball because that just gives mm. them the momentum, doesn't it? You've got a decent amount of time yeah. to to hammer us for the last twenty minutes or whatever it was, and um, thankfully we we stood up to it. Well, that's it. That's it, Phil, and I'll bring you in on this because I know Martin kind of brought it up right at the beginning because you know Birmingham really put us under pressure, but I mean I thought we we kind of really dug in, and as much as we've We've praised the team for some of the football we've played. I mean, we've done it tonight, but on previous pods, previous games, we've talked about the football. But I think it's it's nice to praise them for the other side of the game where we stand up to a side kind of throwing the kitchen sink at us. Because, I mean, by the end, just looking, I mean, they had Troy Deeney, Jukovic, Hogan up front, up top for, for kind of most of the second half. And then we had that big scare with about, I think it was just over five minutes of the 90 left when... You know, there was a bit of a scramble in the box and then Hume cleared off the line. And then typically, as soon as I felt that Dion Sanderson, I thought, oh, here we go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Dion, Dion Sanderson going to get it. But then Patterson just threw himself at it and made that fantastic save. But it was a bit like that, Phil, in that kind of last period where we really dug in and all the players were just throwing themselves at the ball. And and it, it was fantastic to see because not too many occasions we've actually seen that side of this team this season. Yeah, it was a win at all costs approach in, in in the dying stages of the game. You know, as as we were, the three points were within reach. And as Martin rightly said, as soon as Birmingham get that goal back, I mean, two nil as we all know is an, is an awkward scoreline to be in front by because as soon as the opposition get one goal back, they get a little bit of belief. It can deflate you, and then you know the opposition start to get a bit of momentum behind them. The crowd. St- I mean, I have to say as well, Chris, if that game had taken place in inside a fully uh, full St Andrews, it might have affected our players a little bit. At, at times, it felt a bit like a behind closed doors game. I mean, I thought our fans were magnificent all night, 
but it just felt as if the home support really were lacking a little bit for Birmingham. I know that I think they're doing renovation work on the stadium, so that was probably why. But yeah, at, at that moment in time, we've been here many, many times this season, haven't we? Where we've been in a position of strength in the game against QPR, for example, where you need to be smart, you need to be composed, you need to make sure everybody's doing their job. And I just felt a collective, you know, togetherness in the team where they said, "We are not throwing this game away, lads. We've been here before." We've thrown away points from winning positions this season. We are not leaving here without anything other than three points in the bag. And that's exactly what they did. So it got a little bit desperate at times. It got a little bit ragged at times. It was, it was, you know, like you said, it was bodies flying in here and everywhere, deflections. Patterson comes out and, and makes a great block. I don't know whether it was his chest or his hands or whatever. But these are the things that you need to go your way in order to pick up points at this level, Chris. I mean, we've all been there. We've all seen... Sunderland over the years, we've won games by hook or by crook at times. And we've also conspired to throw games away by hook or by crook as well. And I just felt that mentally we looked so much stronger. And it was really good to see. Yeah, I was. Uh, I think I was hiding behind the sofa at one point. Because at yeah. one point, I really did think that we uh, <laughs> leave with a point. But just stick with you for a second, Phil. Because um, just two players I wanted to look at individually. It's, it's just because they were kind of thrown in because of, you know, needs must. And you saw the, the cover we had on the bench. But Trey Hume and Niall Huggins, the, the way they've been in and out and they haven't played that many games. I mean, especially Niall Huggins coming in after, what, over a year out, you know, playing in the first team. I just thought they deserve a little special praise because I thought Niall Huggins, he must have been blown by the end and thrown himself at the ball. And I, I thought those two, considering, you know, that they're not being kind of first team regulars, I, I thought those two did really well tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we have to remember that they're both very, very young and they're both very, very highly rated. I mean, obviously, when Huggins arrived last summer, you know, he came with quite a, a burgeoning reputation from Leeds. Obviously, when Trihume came over from Linfield back in, in, in the January window, there was a lot of people saying that he was going to be a really, uh, you know, a real find for us. Um, and obviously, they've had the problems with injuries and they haven't really been able to put together a consistent run of um, games for us. But I, I felt that Huggins particularly was really, really impressive. I thought the, the composure he showed. He had a few um, nervy moments in the first half. I felt Bakuna for Birmingham was definitely targeting him. And I, he looked as if he was he was really kind of relishing the chance to get it, get his teeth into Huggins, as it were. But I thought he dealt with it well. And Hume was the same. I thought that, you know, they both acquitted themselves very, very well. And we need that depth in defence. So when everybody's fully fit and we can fail the team that is totally injury-free... Huggins and Hume are going to have a big, big role to play for us because it's going to give Tony Mowbray scope to change things when the fixtures start to come thick and fast in the new year. And it's also going to give him, you know, the, the, the ability to, to make changes in games as well, if necessary. So, yeah, it was it, good signs from both of them, I felt. Yeah, fantastic win, fantastic night. And that means we're broke up now. It feels like we're broke half term or something like that. It's, it it's is, really yeah. weird. We'll take stock. We've got plenty of time. We'll, we'll do that during the break. But I think, you know, just off that the back of that win, it's worth kind of doing a little report card, you know, almost halfway through the season. We're breaking for, for the World Cup. And I've been banging the drum about this, Martin, so you can tell us, you can tell me if I'm talking rubbish about it because I keep repeating this. But uh, again, and, and it goes back, I did a piece at the start of the season where I likened it to when we got promoted under Dennis Smith. And we finished 11th in that first season. And, and I wrote a piece saying that for me would be par. That's kind of par for the season. Anything better, fantastic, you know, brilliant, we'll enjoy it. Anything less isn't a disaster as long as we don't get pulled in and sucked into that yeah. fight at the bottom. But <laughs> currently sitting 12th in the league, we're, what, we're four points off uh, off the top six. and um, We're sitting seven points off the bottom three. I'm more than happy 
with uh, not not quite at the halfway stage, but obviously we're breaking up for the World Cup. But if somebody said, "Would you take twelfth going into the World Cup, four points off the top six, I'd have absolutely snapped their hand off. I think if you'd said to me before we kicked a ball against Coventry that in this spell up until we we have this break for the World Cup, we'd have lost Alex Neal after five games. He'd walked out. <laughs> We played the vast majority of the season. Phil's making a nice hand gesture there. I'm not sure what that means, Phil. Um, <laughs> so we, we, Alex Neal will have walked out after five games of the season. After, what, six games of the season, Ross Stewart's going to miss the rest of that spell. After seven games of the season, Ellis Sims going to miss the, the vast majority of that bit. So you're going to play the majority of that spell with no strikers. Alex Neal's walked out and ditched us for Stoke. We not, we're not going to have been given a penalty. We're not going to have scored a set piece. <laughs> <laughs> right, and would be twelfth with twenty-seven points. I'd have absolutely snapped your hand off. Now I think you know you can go through game by game, and the only two games I think that have been really disappointing for me have been Middlesbrough away, where I just didn't think we've really exerted ourselves. But you know that was disrupted completely by Ross Stewart getting injured in the warm-up, and the um, the Cardiff game last week, where I just thought we weren't in the races. But I think you can kind of you can go through a number. You can go through a QPR game where we're two 0 up with a couple of minutes left. You can go through some other games, can't you? Like, um, you know, the Watford game where if, if we'd played another five minutes, we probably would have got all three points. So like, there's so many games where you can, if you look at it individually, you go, well, you know, we dropped points there, we dropped points there. And I actually think we've dropped more points than we sneaked, if you if you like. So I think we're kind of in a little bit of deficit there. So I think, you know, for Tony Mowbray to come in and, you know, I think, I'm, I just think this win win on um, Friday night against Birmingham is so massive, right? Because I think it just takes the pressure off. It, it ends that yeah. run of games on a on a high. Our points total and position look pretty good. We're kind of looking up rather than looking at, looking down. I think it relieves some pressure on Mowbray because I think if we got beat, and especially if it'd been in a similar manner to what we played against Cardiff on Saturday, you know the knives are out, people are questioning them, the pressure's building up there. All of a sudden, getting Ross Stewart back becomes even more important and you've got all this stuff around this contract which no doubt we'll, we'll talk about in a sec so I think if you if you look at all of that like I, at the start of the season Chris I'm, I was kind of the same mind as you my sort of prediction if you like and this was on the basis of us having Alex Neal Ross Stewart playing the vast, vast majority of the games all that sort of stuff I'd be like if we finish 10th 11th 12th brilliant right because you know if we'd stormed League One last year and won it with 110 points you might be thinking a little bit differently about coming up, but we sneak well got through the playoffs, deservedly so. But it's it's a it's a big jump, and we've seen over the past few years teams coming up out of League One. It's a grinding championship. It's a hard, hard league, and I think we've kind of underestimated um, potentially how big a jump that is, or some some have underestimated it. Because if you think about it, uh, we haven't been in the championship before this season. Uh, sorry, we haven't competed in the championship. For a hell of a long time. <laughs> we had one season where we didn't really lay a glove on anybody. So we, we can't yeah. use that as a barometer. So, you know, this is the first experience that most people have had, or a lot of people have had, of the championship for a long time. And it's a tough league. So, you know, for us to be sitting here, coming in this break in, in 12th position, 27 points in 20 games, you know, yes, home form needs looked at. We need to improve that. But that's that's the, the promising thing because there's, there's areas of improvement that are really obvious. Home form, set pieces... Get the strikers back. You know, they're not that difficult to solve. It's not as if we've been playing with a full-strength team every week and you know, playing to our maximum and we've got to this point. 
there's easy room for, for improvement in that second half. So, you know, Tony Mowbray has got settled in. Let's see what he can... I, I actually, I think he did a really good job tonight. Like, I think he got some yeah. um, deserved criticism on Saturday. I thought he made some poor decisions before the game in hindsight and at halftime and during the game on Saturday. But I thought tonight he got absolutely spot on. I thought we were we were pragmatic, we were dogged, we did that nasty side of the game really, really well. We saw the timeout at the end of the game. I thought we were great when we had the ball down in that corner. You know, we just you know we we played out two minutes just by kicking the ball off them. So look, I, th- I think all things considered, coming into this break in that position, you've got to be happy, haven't you? You've got to be content oh, at least. Oh, well, that's it, and we'll get on your report card uh, Phil so far because I mean Martin's right I mean kind of you go through the games and you know you could you could look at you know Coventry opening day you know you know QPR where we threw it away Sheffield United I was there that night you know we we deserved something out of that yep Norwich game I mean we you know like I said we went down to 10 men against Sheffield United and deserved something like you said the Norwich game we deserved something Middlesbrough we were a bit off we kind of got something out of the Watford game then there was those two disappointing goalless draws and actually, I was just going to add to that, you know, the disappointing games. I thought one of our worst performances, but not a full game, was the first half at Swansea. I thought we, we were really poor yeah. in the first half at Swansea, but we but we picked it up. But um, but yeah, then there was Blackburn, where we were so unlucky with the referee's decisions at Blackburn. Then there was the Burnley game, where we kind of we should have gotten three points, really, from the position uh, we were in. But you, know, you take all those things into account, and you, you still look at where we are, Phil. And and like me and Martin have been saying, I mean, you've got to be happy of how we're doing so far. Without a doubt, Chris, I've, I, you know, I said during the summer that the first aim for this season for a newly promoted team is to stay in it. Make sure that you are not in a relegation battle. Make sure that you're not jeopardising the future of the club by flirting with relegation again. We could not afford to be in that position. We've got some hard work to still to do, but I think we're in a promising position. Now, there's a few points I want to make on this. The first point is the last time we were in the championship, we were a disgrace. Uh, we had players who didn't want to be here. There was no team spirit. We were under two inept managers. The club was a shell. This time, it feels different. The club is progressing on and off the field. We've got a good team spirit, a great team spirit, actually, I would say, based on the, the evidence of the Birmingham game. We've got a capable manager. There is so much still to come from this team, Chris, that is really exciting. As Martin said there, the games that we have tripped up in this season, some of them have been because of our own shortcomings. Some of them have been through, like, for example, Norwich. They were able to change the game by bringing uh, Timu Puki and Todd Cantwell on players with Premier League experience. This is all part of the learning process in this league for me, Chris. You know, a lot of these players are sampling this division for the first time. It's a tough league. It's an open league. I think the players have acquitted themselves very, very well. So in terms of the overall picture, I think I would I would sum it up by probably saying good but could be so much better. But that's not necessarily a criticism. That's just an observation because... We have not really looked out of our depth in any games this season. We've had bad performances, without a doubt, where things haven't gone our way and we've kind of aided and abetted the opposition through our own mistakes. But at no stage have I watched us this season and thought, oh God, these players look a little bit outmatched here. It looks as if it's a step too far for them from League One to the Championship because there was that narrative over the summer, wasn't there, that these players were only good enough for fifth in League One would they make the step up? You know, did they have the quality to make it in the championship? Well, I think we've got our answer, Chris. If I'm being honest with you, I think that a lot of them have done very, very well. Some of them, you know, have, have had bad performances and iffy spells of form, but that's okay. That can be rectified. So, in summary, I would say that it's been a good start. I think the league position is very respectable, but there is so much more to come. And you know, when we when we can feel the fully fit squad, when we've got Ross Stewart back, when we can call on Adjielisi 
when we've got Ballard to come into the defence, we are going to be a match for anyone in this division, Chris. And I really do think that come January, with some good additions in the transfer market, and I know we're going to come on to the, the meeting on, um, on Monday and the fallout from that, with some good additions in the transfer market in January, there's absolutely no reason why we can't push on, maybe even finish on the fringe of the playoffs. I still think the top six is going to be a push. I think automatic promotion is out of the question for us this season. But for me, it's all about putting those solid foundations down, Chris. We have to make sure that this club is ready over the coming seasons to progress and then eventually build for a promotion push. And I think patience has to be the watchword. So for me, I would say a solid 7 out of 10. It's been good. It's been enjoyable largely, but it could have been better. But that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm exactly the same. I, I mean, when I look at it, I just see positive things. I see, like you said, players who are young and they're getting better as the season goes on game by game. We've got the January transfer window, you know, looking at the last couple of transfer windows with, with uh, Christian Speakman and how that's been managed. I mean, I'm, I'm almost kind of quite excited to see what we do and see what business we get done. You know, Monday evening, Christian Speakman, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus, Steve Davison and Dave Jones, they held a meeting with Sunderland fans, uh, discussed a whole range of topics. Um, me and Craig discussed some of those in midweek. And I'll just add at this point that me and Craig also discussed that we'd probably get a positive result against Birmingham so I just I just wanted to call that out that I think we might have called that but um, he was a good guest Craig wasn't he well I enjoyed listening to Craig well that's it that's it I um yeah well I, I have to admit I said would stuff Cardiff three nothing so I can't say I get kind of too many right but yeah I mean just on midweek for you Martin um there was kind of, like I said range of topics I mean what stood out for you as you know something that seemed like one of the most important points that were raised in midweek well I think the the Obviously, the issue that's come out of it and been talked about subsequently is Ross Stewart, isn't it? And the model, if you like. I think what Dave Jones has said, we weren't selling anybody now, but that time was coming close that we are cashing in somebody. And you know whether it's Ross Stewart or whether it's somebody else, that, that will happen. You know, every... I think, I think you, you and Craig said it, Chris, the other day. Every, every football club is a selling club. Every player is up for sale for the for the right price. So they're not there's not a football club in the world who won't sell a player if the if the money's right. I think you know we've we've had an absolutely abysmal record of selling players. Dreadful. Haven't we? Like over over the, the years we have sold players at the wrong time, not sold them at the, the right time, and more often than not, ended up with them running the contracts out. Or paying them off, and you've got scenarios where you, you you flog them and you're still paying them money after they've left because we haven't sold them at the right time. So you know you cast your mind back to you know Lamine Coney's where you know if you could turn back time, as um, Cher might sing, you'd go back to that point, wouldn't you? Take the money from Everton and invest in that side because that that could have changed the whole course of the past six years. You know, if we'd accepted that bid from Everton, we might not have gone down to League One. In fact, I don't think we would have. So you've got these these points, and they're actually massive decisions and massive turning points, right? You've got you know, Kenwyn Jones, we, we turned down what 20 million from Spurs. So he ended up going to Stoke after his form dropped badly. So you, you've got all these things, and there's so many factors to it, right? So one, you've got the money, right? Which is it's massive. Like in, in this model that we've got, and I think you know, it's not a unique model, it's a model that pretty much every football club that's half well run has you try to buy players develop them and sell them for a profit like it's 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 business that's how every business in the world operates unless you're absolutely bankrolled and you just toss it off and do what you want so you've got this scenario where you were looking for players to develop 
Uh, Ross Stewart's some brilliance, right? Now, if and if we can get him signing a new contract, and he wants to sign a new contract, brilliant. And, I, and that's what I hope happens. I really hope we can agree a new contract with him, and he really kicks on and he gets us to the Premier League, right? That's what I'm sure every Sunderland sporter hopes, right? If he doesn't want to set, sign that contract, if his contract demands are going to absolutely break any structure that we've got and consequently put everybody else's nose out of joint and take that team spirit away that we've obviously got, then is that a price that's worth paying? And I would say it probably isn't, right? From Ross Stewart's point of view, he's I think he's going to be 27 the time the next season starts. This isn't a lad who's 19, 20, 21. He's come into this level of football late, and he, you know, he's not on big money here, so he, he, he's, he's not going to be a type of player who's been cashed up since he was 17. His next contract will set him up, or should set him up financially for life. He's going to have one chance of getting that contract that sets him up for life. And from a, you know, a purely personal point of view, if I'm him, I'm going, well, I can sign for I can sign a new contract at Sunderland for 10 grand a week, or I can hold out and go to Notts Forest in the window or go to Everton, and they're going to give us 35 grand a week for a four-year contract. Like, where are you going to go? There's one answer. So now you can kind of understand all of that, right? We could dig our heels in and go, nah, you're our player. We're not, you're not going anywhere. We've got years extension on the contract. And people might go, oh, the excellent. The club's showing everybody who's boss. They're showing Ross Stewart who's boss. What happens to Stewart from a mentality point of view? He's been kept there under or against his will, will rather. But other players who are here and other players who are considering coming here, they'll go, oh, shit. They, they promised me everything. But when push comes to shove, they forced me to stay where I've given them three good seasons and I want to develop my career. So, you know, was, and Dave, I, think, I think it was Dave Jones said, you've got to sell players to attract players. And people sort of balk at it, but there's a, there's a hell of a lot of truth in it. Because what's going to make a player, and especially with this model that we've, we've got, right, where we're bringing in younger players, hopefully from Premier League academies and reserve teams and all that sort of stuff to develop them. Why are they going to choose Sunderland rather than anywhere else? It's not because they like the beach. Ellis Sims didn't even know there was a beach. It's because they can develop the career. That's what they're here for. And if they can be part of something that can grow and get promotion, brilliant. But they're here, okay, because this is the right move for me, for my career at this point in time. And we've got to harness, harness that and embrace it and not, not fight against it because if we can do that and develop players, it becomes a bit of a conveyor belt. We've seen with Brentford. Like, that's, a, that's exactly their model. And, you know, they sell somebody, bring in Ivan Tony. You know, it's... it's 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 like that, isn't it? You know, you get if we got I don't know, I'm plucking figures out there. If we got twelve million for Ross Stewart, you can go and invest five, six, seven million into a new striker. Whereas Ross Stewart costs two hundred grand or five hundred grand or whatever it was. So you incrementally get better with every sort of cycle that that goes through. But you know, again, I really hope we get an agreement with Ross Stewart and he's delighted to sign a new three or four year contract. That's the the ideal for everybody. If that doesn't happen, and I don't think it will. It's actually just a natural step in, in what's going on. It's not the end of the world. And, you know, the, the thing with, with all of it is every time we've had a, a big transfer that we've, we've cooped some, some money for, you think the likes of Pickford, you think the likes of Henderson, we haven't spent it wisely. And that's always the thing. Well, it's great cashing in somebody, but you've got to spend it well. And that's always been where we've, we've fell down. Well, as well as selling people at the wrong time. So you've got to go, well, look, the last... Well, four or five transfer windows, 
with you know Stuart Harvey, Christian Speakman involved. I've actually got a bit of confidence that we'll bring the right players in. I think we're targeting the right type of players, targeting the right skill sets. And you just hope that we we invest whatever we recoup really, really well, because that's that's the key to it, isn't it? We've got to spend, if we're going to cash in, we've got to spend wisely. It's, it's a two-sided coin. And if we can get both those things right, sell at the right time, invest in the right players, then this model becomes pretty attractive. Now, we've got to do those things. We've got to sell at the right time and invest that money wisely once for people to get comfort with it, because otherwise you're automatically going to prickle against it because it's actually you'd rather keep Ross Stewart than gamble on an unknown. So it's going to be a really interesting window. Like I, I actually think he's going. To, I actually think he'll go in January. I think a Premier League club will put a big offer in for him. And if he hasn't agreed a new contract, I think our hand is stronger selling him in January than it would be in the summer. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in January. So it'll, it'll be a it'll be an interesting one to see how that kind of unfolds. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to admit it was hard um, concentrating on what you were saying there, Martin, because I just had visions of. Share on an aircraft carrier in fishnet tights after you, you kind of mentioned that. But uh, but uh, and and me and you can debate. Um, you know when you know when we let go of Marco Gavardini later on, uh, Martin, whether that was uh, too soon or what. But I mean, I mean, Phil, just just your thoughts about Monday night. Like I said, a lot was discussed. I mean, what stood out for you? Uh, what stood out for me? I'm, I'm going to have my say on the Ross Stewart thing in a moment. But uh, the issue of stadium renovations really caught my eye because. I think it's an issue that's been um, overlooked for too long now, Chris, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. We have a fantastic football club, but at the moment, the stadium is not befitting of that football club, I'm afraid. It's shown its age. It's rusty in places. The outside of it is not particularly well appointed. Um, the lighting's poor. Uh, the concourses are a disgrace, to be quite honest with you. The toilets are in dreadful shape. So I, I like the idea of them sprucing the stadium up. How much of it will come to pass I'm not too sure. I know it's an issue that seems to be discussed quite regularly, um, but it, it's seldom acted on. So hopefully this time that's something they'll really push for and bring the stadium up to scratch because we've been there 25 years now and it is tired and it is showing its age and I think it could definitely do with um, sprucing up. So that, that was a big issue that caught my eye. Regarding Ross Stewart, um, look, I never thought I'd get over it when Craig Russell left. I was devastated when Michael Bridges left. When Darren Bent left, I could have put my fist through the television. When Josh Marger left, I thought the world was ending. I've seen them come and I've seen them go. You lads have as well. Um, the danger is getting too attached to up there. And Ross Stewart is a magnificent striker. He's one of the best all-round centre-forwards we've had in years. And I think he, he has a great rapport with the fans. He's been at the centre of the team for such a long time now. He's scored some crucial goals. He's taken the championship very, very well. But just to pick up on what Martin said at, uh, at the start of his point there, there are very, very few clubs in world football who are what I would call apex predators, where they're immune from having their players poached. They're immune from bids coming in and you know being liable to sell. I think Real Madrid are probably the only team in the world who could brush off any offers for any players. Um, and the reality is, is that the majority of clubs, as, as Martin said, are selling clubs now. Every player, most players in clubs like ours have a price. And that's just the reality of modern football. The tectonic plates in football have shifted now, Chris. It's the landscape is different from how it used to be. There's, the money involved now is, is is beyond belief. We've got, obviously, stuff like European Super League that's been floated. The dynamics of football have changed now. And as a result of that, clubs like Sunderland have to reposition themselves. They have to remodel themselves and find their niche within the modern game. 
in such a way that they can do things effectively, but that that doesn't come at the at the expense of success. And I think what this regime has to do, and I've seen no signs that they're not going to do this, what they have to do is strike that balance between football success on the pitch and financial prudence, keeping the finances of the club on a tight leash and making sure that everything is is done you know, by the book and, and we can't get into the problem, Chris, the situation that they knocked us into the abyss. The open checkbook, the short, you know, entrusting the running of the club to people who were not up to scratch and so on and so forth. I think Craig mentioned this um, in our group chat a few weeks ago, a quarter of a billion in debt to finish 17th in the Premier League every year. That's not a pro- that's not a model I want to go back to. That's not a, a way that Sunderland should be doing business. We've got to be smarter than that now. And I think we've got a chance. So if Stewart does leave, I would be dismayed, of course, but the real acid test of that would be who do they get to replace him? Because I think Stuart was something of a, a rare find when he came to the club from Ross County a year and a half ago. You know, Again, if they can find another rough diamond in the transfer market, maybe a couple of them, to replace Ross Stewart, and if those players can ultimately deliver, then that's proof that the model's working. So I think buying low and selling high is a sound business strategy, as we all know, but you've got to temper that by trying to retain your key players. I'm not saying break the bank for them or keep them at all costs because, as Martin said, that shattering the wage structure would be self-defeating because that that way you risk upsetting the balance and you risk you know you risk disharmony and so on and so forth. So keep them if you can. I personally think he might go in the summer. I wouldn't necessarily agree with Martin's point. I do think he'll leave at some point. I think that's inevitable. But I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we can hang on to him in January, keep him just for that first full season in the championship and then maybe look at him moving on in the summer. So if he does go, Chris, like I said, I would be dismayed. But again, I've seen them come and go and the test will be replacing them. And I've got confidence in this regime. They haven't made many missteps so far. They've had a few signings that haven't really paid off, but there haven't been really too many out-and-out flops that Christian Speakman and Stuart Harvey have overseen. So that gives me a lot of confidence. But again, they've got to, they've got to replicate what they did with Stuart and try and find the next star. And that's, I think, what they've got to aim for. Yeah, and... Well, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Phil, you, you went on the stadium there. You went full kind of Liz Truss on us at the start. You know, the stadium is a disgrace <laughs> and and all that sort of stuff. I wondered, wondered where where that was going. But um, I'm sure this model is going to be tested. Like I said, in midweek when Jusen uh, Bennett smashes Costa Rica into the World Cup final and he gets the golden boot. Uh, yeah. But I mean, just just very very quickly in in a couple of words on that World Cup because that's what we're breaking for. Phil, where do you think? Uh, England will get quarterfinals, semifinals, think we'll win it? I think it'll be the quarterfinals. Um, and I think Southgate will leave regardless of what happens, Chris. I think, to be honest with you, I'd, just looking at his body language, I think he's still passionate about the job. But I just it just feels as though this cycle of Southgate is starting to come to its natural conclusion. So don't get me wrong, I'd love to be wrong because I think he's done a lot of good for the England team. But I think this will be his last tournament as England boss. So I think, I think it'll be a quarterfinal exit. I don't think it'll be quite as magical as the World Cup was last time or the Euros last summer. I think we might fall short of the quarterfinals and I think it'll be a change. So, yeah, that's where I would go for. Uh, and Martin, what's your thoughts? Uh, quarters at the very best, I suspect. First um, first knockout round. As, as long as we beat Wales. Um, and that, that one's for Tom. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, I was going to say, it, if Tom's listening to this, we love you really, Tom, but it's, it's, it's not personal, it's just business. So If yeah. he listens. And on that note, thanks again for everyone listening. Um, keep a look out at Rooker Report for all the latest. We will keep on going throughout the World Cup and hopefully, um, fingers crossed, we will bring you one or two special little items from us. Bye for now.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 